With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. Well, depending on who you ask, it's either been a week of jubilation or lamentation. After a lengthy legal fight spanning nearly three years, Meng Wanzhou, the Huawei CFO, has returned to China. Meanwhile, the chairman and the CEO of the scandal-plagued conglomerate HNA have both been taken in by police. And let's not even mention how Beijing's ban on cryptocurrency transactions has given investors worldwide the jitters. With all the top business stories from the Asian giant that is China, here is your weekly roundup. We kick off with what simply must be the biggest developments in China's business and that, of course, is Meng Wanzhou's release. After making a deferred prosecution agreement with the U.S. authorities on Friday, the Huawei CFO returned to China over the weekend, landing in Shenzhen. Ever since her arrest in Vancouver Airport in December 2018 amid fraud allegations over violations of U.S. sanctions, the Huawei CFO has been living under an extremely loose form of house arrest in Canada, where she fought against her extradition to the U.S. American prosecutors had accused the tech executive, who is also the daughter of Huawei founder and Zhengfei, of misleading HSBC about Huawei's operations in Iran in a violation of U.S. trade sanctions. In a scheme to violate U.S. trade sanctions against the country, both the telecommunications giant as well as the Chinese government denied Meng committed any such wrongdoing, insisting that this instead had all been a plot by Washington to stifle Huawei's growth. Shortly after the deal was struck, the CFO embraced her colleagues and expressed her gratitude toward her defense team, the Chinese consul, as well as the Canadian people. And speaking of Huawei, its previous budget smartphone line, Honor, has been rebuilding its presence in China's competitive smartphone market. Last year, Honor was cut loose from the Chinese tech giant to avoid being caught in the crosshairs of the burgeoning China-U.S. tech cold war. At a company event held last week, Honor CEO Zhao Ming talked up the firm's rebound in the China market 
where its share grew to 16.2% from 3% in November when Huawei sold Honor to a Chinese government-backed consortium in exchange for an opportunity to keep the brand's industry chain intact amid the U.S. sanctions. Zhao added that next year's Honor smartphone sales are expected to be much bigger, basing his estimate on the company's persistent efforts to restore its supply chain and introduce new handsets. There have also been some dramatic developments in the global cryptosphere. That's after China banned all cryptocurrency transactions and promised to clamp down on crypto mining. Not long after the news broke, Bitcoin dropped 8%. According to an official notice posted Friday, all transactions linked to crypto will be deemed as illegal financial activity. The notice adds that the ban also covers services offered by offshore exchanges, stating that Chinese citizens employed by offshore virtual currency exchanges, such as by offering technical or promotional support, will face legal investigations. Analysts say that the move will wreak some havoc on the global crypto industry in the short term, but that things should mellow out in the long term. Indeed, such analysts have pointed out that a lot of this activity has already started to be relocated from China to other parts of the world. In other big business news, HNA Group Chairman Chen Feng, as well as the firm's CEO Tan Xiangdong, have been taken in by police for unspecified crimes. That's according to a post on the company's official WeChat account late Friday. The Post said Hainan police have placed the pair under coercive measures, which can include residential surveillance, detention, or arrest. The Post added that the operation of HNA Group and its subsidiaries is stable and orderly, and said that the work of bankruptcy reorganization is progressing smoothly in accordance with the law, and production and operations have not been affected. No details of the executive's alleged offenses were provided. And from one troubled business giant to another, some of Evergrande's major bank creditors are trying to calm jittery investors about their links to the teetering developer. The news comes as fears persist that the company's enormous debts could spark contagion in the financial system. In response to an online question, China Zhejiang Bank one of Evergrande's major creditors, said that it had loaned Evergrande 3.8 billion yen, or close to $590 million. According to a Q&A website run by the Shanghai Stock Exchange, this particular risk to China Zhejiang Bank has been described as controllable because there is, quote-unquote, sufficient collateral backing the particular loans. Evergrande's 2020 annual report lists 20 banks as major business partners, more than half of which are listed, but Zhejiang Bank was the only bank that had disclosed an exact figure as of the time of recording. A number of provinces across China are enduring an electricity supply squeeze that has prompted local governments to impose power cuts and rationing on industrial users. In northern China, sudden blackouts in the provinces of Liaoning, Jilin, and Heilongjiang have wreaked havoc for some residents and factories. Several residents in Liaoning's capital of Shenyang told Taishin that their power was cut off last week on Thursday evening for several hours. Meanwhile, in central Hunan province, 
power generators have at times been falling short of electricity demand by 3 million to 6 million kilowatt hours. According to a notice, priority in Hunan will be given to residents and public services such as hospitals and schools, whose usage remains unaffected. Further south, in the manufacturing center of Guangdong province, surges in electricity consumption caused by high temperatures coupled with a shortage of coal and natural gas have led the government to suspend production at some factories and force others to stagger their operations so they aren't all drawing on the power grid at the same time. And in other major energy-related news, President Xi Jinping says that China will not build new coal-fired power projects abroad. The Chinese president broke the news during his speech to the UN General Assembly last week, adding that the country will increase efforts to realize its climate pledges. Xi also said that the country will give more support to developing countries in developing green and low-carbon energy. Earlier that day, U.S. President Joe Biden, in a speech to the U.N. General Assembly, also addressed issues related to climate change with a pledge to double financial aid to developing countries. The leaders of the world's two largest carbon emitters noted the two countries' commitments in a phone conversation on September 10th, during which she said that the two sides may continue their engagement and dialogue to advance coordination and cooperation on climate change. Let's turn now to Caixin Global's podcast producer, Nandini Vincata, who joins us from Beijing. Nandini, as listeners know, is also co-producer of the show. Great to have you back on, Nandini. Hi, Kaiser. It's great to be here. So what are we talking about today? Yeah, so for today's show, I'm actually going to be talking about something that I have never discussed on the podcast, and that's exploding electric bike batteries. So last week in Beijing... There were two really alarming incidents um, where batteries of these vehicles just suddenly burst into flames. Now, the first incident occurred at a residential complex. And according to a social media post by Beijing's fire service, it all started after a resident living in the complex had um, charged his e-bike overnight inside his apartment and suddenly the battery exploded and it ignited a fire, which eventually spread to other floors of the building. And this really turned tragic. Very sadly, five people ended up losing their lives. And then, just a matter of days later, another e-bike, also in Beijing, caught fire and then ended up exploding and all of this actually happened when someone was riding the vehicle, but by some sort of miracle, no one ended up getting hurt in this whole incident. So, so clearly this is scary stuff. I mean, especially as I am an avid electric bicyclist who spends many hours a week uh, straddling a battery and uh, to have them catch fire either while charging at home or, or while actually riding. This is pretty scary. Um, but this isn't totally new either, right? I mean, this has been happening for, for quite some time and, and not just with e-bikes, but, but, you know, with hoverboards and, and even mobile phones, right? Yeah, that's right, actually. So e-bike battery explosions are actually quite a common cause of household fires in China. And a lot of these indoor fires break out when the batteries are charged overnight in homes or 
in the hallways of apartment buildings. So just to give you um, some figures on this, it seems that close to 6,500 fires caused by e-bikes were reported in China between January and July. And over 60% of these incidents um, were connected to lithium batteries. And it seems like these fires are either caused by overcharging battery cell failure or electric short circuits. Yeah, and so as I was saying, this isn't the first time that lithium batteries have gotten a bad rap, right? Yeah, that is quite right. Um, so I guess I should point out that um, in China at present, there are two types of batteries um, currently used in e-bikes. So that's the traditional lead acid type and the lithium iron type. And as you say, there have indeed been um, some pretty high-profile global incidents involving lithium batteries, not just in e-bikes, but also in mobile phones and electric cars. I think one of the most famous examples uh, relates to Samsung, the South Korean electronic brand, and how it had to issue a massive recall in 2016 of about 2.5 million of um, one particular smartphone, and that's after some faulty batteries caught fire. So getting back to these e-bikes, what's really worrisome is that since China's the biggest e-bike market and producer, a lot of these incidents could still be coming, presumably. Uh, what is the Chinese government doing to address this potential catastrophe? Yeah, it definitely is um, concerning. After all, there are about 300 million of these vehicles all over the country. And the Chinese government has been stepping up its oversight over all of this. Um, for example, a new set of safety standards were introduced about two years ago. And as a result of these new rules, um, it looks like about two-thirds of all e-bikes in the country must be replaced by 2024 in order to meet the new standards. And the country has also been getting stricter on indoor charging in a bid to stop buildings from catching fire. If we refer back to what happened in Beijing last week, the city has now banned people from parking or charging e-bikes in residential apartment lobbies, corridors, fire exits, and also stairwells. Likewise, um, property management are also now ordered to closely monitor compliance um, by installing surveillance cameras. And, and do we have any idea how effective these moves will be in containing the risk? Well, yeah, that's the big question. Um, so there is actually some skepticism that these steps won't be enough to fix the situation. After all, China has around 300 million e-bikes. But last year, it had just about 9.7 million public charging stations for the vehicles. So that obviously means there's a huge supply shortage. And that leads me to fear that some people will just run the risk of charging their batteries in their apartments. And of course, another big question is what happens to the legions of delivery drivers who work for the likes of Ulama, Meituan and Kwaidi? As I'm sure many of your listeners are well aware, such gig economy workers are already in a pretty vulnerable place. And as it's been said again and again, they already take big risks when driving their e-bikes in order to meet their notoriously tight deadlines um, that their 
that these tech companies set for them. So this begs the question whether such flexible workers may just be feeling the pressure to bend the new charging rules and take the risks. So it seems like, you know, a big question to look out for. Okay, thanks, Nandini. And I look forward to having you back on the show soon. Thanks, Kaiser. Speak to you soon. A quick note to listeners. We'll be taking next week off for the National Day holiday in China, but we'll be back the following week. So happy holidays to our listeners in China. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is produced by Kaiser Guo and Nandini Venkata with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Special thanks to Li Xin of Caixin Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. If you want to listen to our extensive back catalog of podcasts or check out more of Caixin Global's great journalism, then download our app or head online to caixinglobal.com. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to SupChina Access for the daily newsletter. Find us at subchina.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care. <music>